Would you please turn to the last book in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And I want to read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1. I have um, begun to preach some of the uh, truths that are found in the book of Malachi. And I didn't want to interrupt that uh, process. And yet I wanted to do something that was kind of mother de- Mother's Day-ish. And so I kind of, you know, I thought, what is the one word that describes mothers? And that's the word love. That's the uh, very nature of God. And there is a marvelous passage on the love of God, and it's verses 1 through 5. So I got it all uh, worked out, hopefully. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you says the Lord. But you say, How hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, and I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation, and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, We have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this, and you will say, The Lord be magnified beyond the barter of Israel. A few years ago, Southern Baptist um, started a, an evangelistic uh, emphasis called Good News America, God Loves You. And, and, and we have these bumper stickers that we put on the bumpers of the cars. Good News America, God Loves You. I have an idea that the response of the old average old guy from the world when he sees that bumper sticker is something like this uh, yeah so what can, can you can you get this picture in your mind this this guy's headed to work to a job he hates to a boss he can't stand he's a brutal um, contentious uh, bully he just has a, he just had a quarrel with his wife his kids are sick and he's caught in a traffic jam on Central Expressway. Can't move. And he's sitting there, and all of a sudden his eye catches that bumper sticker in the car in front of him. Good news, America. God loves you. And I can just imagine his response. So what? <laughs> Prove it. I mean, I've got to have more evidence than what I'm able to see in my, in my life. Not unlike the people in Malachi's day. For when God said to them through the prophet, I have loved you, their response was, So what? Prove it. Where's the evidence of your love? And sometimes I think that a person has to understand what God hates before he fully appreciates what God loves. It's kind of like when that doctor rolls your loved one on that operating cart through those double doors and leaves you standing there alone and frightened 
and you're pacing that hallway waiting for the news and minutes seem like hours, seem like eternity before that door opens and there stands that doctor again and he has this big smile on his face and he says, I've got good news. Everything's going to be all right. The tumor was benign and she's going to be fine. You see, it's the possibility of the bad news that makes the good news so good. Now God could have said, let me tell you something Israel, I hate your sin. Sometimes we need to understand what God hates before we understand what God loves. This is a rough crowd that Malachi is preaching to. I tell you what, it would have been a blessing to speak to this group every Sunday. For every time he said something like this, they came back with, show us some evidence. I want some proof of it. We want to see some proof of that. And there is, in the book of Malachi, more direct dialogue between God and His people than any other book in the Bible. And it's such an intense book. And there is this cycle that goes like, the charge and the denial and the evidence, the charge and the denial and the evidence. God loves you, prove it, and then the evidence. And it seems impossible that these people having thousands and thousands of years seeing God demonstrate His love would ever say, where, where is that evidence of His love? Prove it. And so God does. And he says, Esau I have hated, but Jacob I have loved. And it's a powerful word there. The English language is impoverished. It has only one word for love, but the biblical language is, is enriched. It has many words. And this word in the Hebrew is a powerful word. It's not even like the same, it's not the same word that Hosea uses when he talks about the love of God. It's a word that has four sides to it. And so what I want to do this morning is just to walk around this word love as God claims it for Himself to Israel. And I want us to see all four sides of this magnificent thought. First of all, it is an elective love. It says, Jacob I have chosen. And involved in this word is that marvelous and profound and complicated concept of the great election of God. What he's saying is this, Jacob I have chosen, Esau I have not. Jacob I have chosen, but Esau I have rejected. And the simple fact is that Esau would have been a better choice. I mean, he's a better choice than Jacob. When you look at the name of Jacob and do a little study of that name, it, get, it tells you a whole lot about the man. He's, there's nothing about this man that's lily white to be sure. The name means trickster, or it means to slip up, for, uh, to, to, it means to snatch by the heel, and it's the picture of one who would slip up from behind and grab somebody from the back. This guy Jacob will shoot you in the back. He'll stab you in the back. He's a deceitful, cunning, conniving trickster. Somebody said that Jacob could lay down, could lie down on a corkscrew and be comfortable. He's that crooked. You write, his you write his life story with a crooked line. This man is a deceitful, cunning, white-collar criminal. And there's nowhere in the Bible that indicates that he's more lovable than Esau. 
And nowhere in the Bible does it even suggest that he has an advantage over Esau. As a matter of fact, when he says Esau and Jacob are brothers, he means that at best there's equality here. It, there was nothing in this man that deserved the love of God. And what God is trying to tell us in all of this is this, that the love of God from its initiation to its consummation is the direct result of God and not man. That God loves us not because we are loving objects. He loves us because He is a loving subject. And there is nothing in any of us that deserves or discerns God's love for man. And Paul said it like this, Those He foreknew, them He also predetermined or predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And I know what that word predestined means or foreknew means. It means that, that God knew beforehand who would trust Him. But it means so much more than that. The word literally means to enter into a relationship. And it's saying that long before you and I ever were and ever had anything that deserved His love, He entered into relationship with us. And there's great security in that. For it means that if God chose me before the foundation of the world and entered into relationship with me before I ever was, there is no reason to believe now that I have trusted Him, that He'll ever reject me, for God changes not. And there's where our security of the believer is found. It's an elective love. Secondly, it is a covenant love. It means that God has pledged Himself to Jacob and made certain promises He cannot reject. He has made certain pledges that he cannot go back on. He has pledged himself to Jacob, the covenant love. And what that means is this, that I am to remain faithful to God even though God may seem to be unfaithful to me. I am to be faithful to God regardless of what God does. Now we looked at last Sunday that these people thought when we get back to the, to the land, this letter was written a hundred years, this book was written a hundred years after the return from the Babylonian exile. And these Jews thought when we get back to, to Jerusalem, we'll build the temple again and we'll reinstitute the sacrifices and God will return the golden years to Israel and the glory days. All we got to do is go back and build the temple, and God will return the golden years to Israel. So they did, and God didn't. They built the temple, but God didn't return the golden years to Israel. They waited a hundred years for God to come down and return the glory, and when He didn't, they said, All right, if God's, gonna be, if God's not going to take our rebuilding the temple seriously, we won't take God seriously. And if God's not going to be faithful to us, we're not going to be faithful to Him. And what the book of Malachi is about is this, that you're to remain and I'm to remain faithful to God regardless of what God does. For the fact is, there are going to be times in our life, in your life and mine, when it seems that God lets you down. As I look back over my life, I can remember those times and still do when it seems to me like God's failed me. 
And my natural reaction to that is, okay, God, if you're not going to come through, you can forget about my faithfulness. You didn't answer my prayer, so I just won't pray. Covenant love means that regardless of what I think God does, I'm to remain faithful to Him. See, the problem is that we live in a cause-effect world and we think God is bound by the same laws. For example, we have learned to do certain things to get certain results. That's how we maneuver and we manipulate people. Why do you think a politician kisses a baby? Because he loves babies? I can guarantee you that's not why he kisses a baby. He kisses a baby not because he loves babies, he loves votes. <laughs> and the old saying is, you kiss the baby and you get that vote. I don't know whether you read the little survey recently or not, but a group of junior high students were quizzed, and 70 or 80% of them said that if a guy takes a woman out and spends money on her, takes her to eat and takes her to the movie, he has a right to rape her if she rejects his sexual advances. Now what, we've, what we have in our culture is this, that if we do certain things, we have a right to expect certain results. So I'm going to build the temple, I'm going to be faithful to church, and I'm going to give my tithe, and I'm going to punch my religious time clock, and I have, a a, a, I have a right to expect a certain response from God. Let me tell you, God's not bound by the law of cause and effect. And on the other side of that coin, we look at the effect and we think God caused it. Where did we ever get the idea that all the suffering in the world is the result of God's anger? It's a covenant love. It means that God is going to fulfill His promise to, to us and, he's, and you can take it to the bank. And it also means that we're to be faithful to God regardless of how we believe God has responded to us. Third, there is a, it is a domestic love. Now to understand the Bible, there has to be a certain amount of accommodation. For example, the only way we have of, of, of knowing God or, or thinking what God is like is to think in terms of human thought forms. So we talk about God having hands. And we talk about God seeing as though He had eyes, like we have eyes. And hearing as though He had ears, you know, on the side of His face. Or we talk about God's feet and all that kind of stuff. Because there has to be a certain amount of accommodation for us to understand what God is like. So the Bible comes with an accommodation to say to us, you want to know what God is like? It's, it's like the experiences are like what, what you have in your home. It's like the love of a father for his son. And so the psalmist said, as, the, as a father has compassion on, over his children, even so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Isaiah the prophet says, you know what God is like? He's like the love of a mother for her children. And he says, you shall be nursed you shall be carried on the hip, you shall be caressed on the knee, for as one whom is comforted by his mother, even so I will comfort you. And so God is saying through the prophet, 
You know what God's love for you is like? It's like the caress of a mother multiplied an infinite number of times. And so the little blind boy said, I know what Father's face is like, although I cannot see. It's like His whistle in the air. It's like His steps upon the stair. It's like His arms that take such care. All of these is Father's face, although I cannot see. And I know what Mother's face is like, although I cannot see. It's like the way the roses smell. It's like the secrets fairies tell. It's like the music of the sweetest bell. All of these is Mother's face to me, although I cannot see. And from my Father's face and from my Mother's face, I know what God is like, although I cannot see. He's everything my Father means. He's everything my mother seems. He's like my very sweetest dreams. All of these is God to me, although I cannot see. And so the Bible says, if you want to know what God is like, He's like a father, He's like a mother. But there's a deeper and more personal picture of God than that. He's like, His love for us is like the intimate, personal relationship of a husband and wife. And you find that Hebrew word again and again, the word know, and it refers to that most intimate, personal, deep experience of fellowship and love and intimacy that a man and woman know who are husband and wife. It's the favorite concept of the Bible. It's the favorite term of the prophets and it throbs in the book of Hosea. And God said, you know how much I love you? You take the intimate relationship of husband and wife and you multiply that by an infinite number and you understand my love. It's a domestic love. That's why when a man turns from God, and walks away from God and betrays His love, it's so drastic and tragic because sin breaks in on the divine order and brings not the judgment of God, it breaks the heart of God. Now it means a couple of things. It means that we are not to pledge our love to God unless we intend to follow through. And it means that God's love for you will never fail. Don't you ever be guilty of saying to your kids, you better behave or God won't love you. There's nothing any farther from the truth than that. For the psalmist said, Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It's a domestic love. One last thought. It's a pragmatic love. It's a love that works. Now let me show you two things about this, and I hope you'll hang in there with me and get these. It means two things. It means that this kind of love is a love that does something. This Hebrew word cannot be used in isolation. It cannot live in a vacuum. The love of God, the love, the word He uses is a word that means 
It is something that you can see. It's something that does something. It does something. It acts. Proverbs 27, 5 says, Open rebuke is better than silent love. Let me give you the typical paraphrase of that. I'd rather be saying, I'd rather be chewed out in public than to be loved and not know it. And let me say parenthetically, that may be why some of our kids do the goofy things they do. They'd rather have negative response from you than no response. He said, open rebuke is better than silent love. For there's something about love that must find a way to express itself. And so some of the better husbands got up this morning <clears throat> and fixed breakfast in bed. Yeah, for, you know, not in bed, but <laughs> for their wives in bed. If you fix breakfast in bed, I want to see it. But yeah, Because love has a way... It's, it's, it, it, is, it is of such nature that it has to find a way to express itself. And so God said, I've got to show my love. I've got to show the love the best way, and therefore Calvary. There's got to be a better way to show love than to say I love you, thus Calvary. And so when that woman came in with an alabaster box of ointment and broke it on, the, on Jesus and anointed Him. The disciples were indignant and talked about the waste. And Jesus said, let her alone. She couldn't help it. When you love somebody, you're going to find a way to show it. Pragmatically, it works. It means the second thing, and it means this. Watch this. When you love somebody, you love the things they love. I'm going to have a study course in a Baptist church called How to Learn to Love the Lost. I've never, I've never been to one of those. I've been to every other kind of course in the Southern Baptist Convention, like how to find the lost, how to win the lost, how to give your testimony, how to introduce your testimony, how to close your interview. I've been to every kind of thing. Win schools at all. I've, I've never been to a class that says how to learn to love the lost. And I'm going to use as my text for this course John 21. You remember the story? Jesus had this charcoal fire built on the, on the coast, and he got Simon Peter over there to the side, had his breakfast made for him. It's interesting that the only two times that in the, in, the, in the Bible it talks about a charcoal fire. One time was the fire where Peter warmed himself before he denied the Lord, and the second time was that fire on which his breakfast was prepared. Charcoal fire, only two times. You think Jesus is trying to tell him something. And he got him back around that fire and he said to Simon Peter, he asked him, do you love me? And Simon responded that he did and Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now Simon didn't say, Lord, I don't like sheep, they stink. And they're hard to keep up with and they bat night and keep us... He didn't say that. Jesus said, 
Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And the whole thrust of that, now watch this, was this. That the more you love the Lord, the more you love the things He loves. Why is it that people love this church? Is it because it's special as a building? No, the people love this church because they love its Lord. Why is it that people love others, love the lost? The people who love the Lord love the lost because they love the things and the people He loves. Now sometimes I can remember, you know, worrying that God would cause something to happen to my kids if I didn't toe the line, you know. One day it just occurred to me, the Lord loves my kids as much as I love them. And because I do. You like your job? You love your work? That means the Lord loves your work because you do. He loves the things you love. You love your home and you, you spend time you know, adding to it and, and making it attractive and you just love it. Guess what? Because you do, He does. Because there is something about love that causes us to love the things that the loved love. I heard a guy tell, and I'll tell his story, and I'm through. He said that his mother loved cats. There must have been something a little bit wrong with her, but she loved cats. And uh, he, said, he said, now my dad didn't hate cats, but he didn't really care for cats. But he wasn't cruel to them. But he said, my mother just loved cats. She picked up cats and, you know, off the streets and, he said she had this old black cat, stray cat that she took in and, and babied and petted and spoiled. And he said, the old cat just take a detour around my dad. You know, he, you know, he, he just knew that my dad didn't care that much about him, but he knew, you know, he knew where the love was. And, and, and the, the, the mother loved the cat. And he said, the day his mother died, they came back home after the funeral and they were sitting in the den. Now you're already way ahead of me. He said they were sitting in the den and he said the old black cat came in, old Blackie or whatever her name was. And he said all of us just kind of looked at one another and we thought, wonder what's going to happen to old Blackie now. You know, who's going to get her? Who's going to have to take care of her? And he said, lo and behold, old Blackie went straight over to where my dad was sitting. And he said, just kind of rubbed up against his leg, you know how they do, tail sticking straight up, you know, just rubbed up against his leg and kind of purring. And he said, we nearly fell out of the chair when, when Dad reached down and took that old cat in his hands, put her on his lap, and began to stroke her, rub her. He said that old cat, you know, motor was running, and he said Dad was stroking her. And he said, before... My mother died, that cat was spoiled. But he said, after she died, that cat was spoiled 50 times more. He said, my dad just took care of her. He said, the least little evidence that she was sick, he'd take her to the vet. He said, he never did even take us to the doctor when we were sick. He'd take her to the vet. 
And he said, he just spent all, you know, you know why? Because when you love someone, you love the things they love. The things that are precious to them are precious to you. The things that are important to them are important to you. I tell you, that's how God loves you. He loves the things that you love. It's a four-sided love. It's a love that has chosen you although you have nothing in you that deserves it. It's a covenant love which means that God's love for you is forever. And so he could tell the story of the prodigal son. You can go to the far country, but God's still there waiting on you. It's a love that's domestic. If you know what it means to love a son or a daughter, you multiply that by an infinite number and you know how his love for you is felt. And it's a love that works. It goes to work. It's a special kind of thing. And to, to reject that love and to sin against it is the greater sin. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in eternity past, before the foundations of the earth, you entered into a relationship with us, loved us and called us. I thank you, Father, that there's never been a time when you did not love us. And that there are so many ways that you have shown us your love, even in the prayer and the patience and the devotion of a mother. And Lord, you loved us for the reason that we might be the best kind of people in the world. Help us now in faith to respond to your love, not a fear of your wrath, but a response to your love. For I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. There are three invitations this morning. An invitation first to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he loved you with an unconditional love when He gave His Son. Your response to that, He desires, is simple faith and trust. An invitation this morning for you to place your life in His church, serve God with His people. Or a time of rededication of your life to Him. A, a public commitment of your life to Christ in a deeper and more personal way. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.